Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Well, Brenda and I had celebrated yesterday our 28th wedding anniversary. And we didn't quite say, wow, how did Brenda do it? That's the question you're asking. And uh, one thing I know about marriage is that you do not find a good marriage. You make a good marriage. A good marriage is not something that just kind of falls into your lap. It's not something that's going to come to you through this diagnostic on a computer, through eHarmony.com or whatever. It's going to be something that you're going to have to make over a lifetime of learning and experience. Somebody said this, that, that love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. If love is a dream, then marriage is the wake-up call. And you're going to have to come to some eye-opening experiences to make a good marriage work. Somebody said this, I love being married. It's wonderful to find that one special person that I can annoy for the rest of my life. (laughs) Some of you are single and, and you have no idea of the frustrations that can come with marriage. And you want to kind of know the frustrations. Just imagine if you're single, you've not been married. Imagine the person you've been the most frustrated with. Multiply that by four with a duration times three. And for some marriages, that is a regular experience. But when marriages do not work, it is not because couples fall out of love. It is because they fall out of repentance. It is not because they stop falling out of, or because they start to fall out of love with each other. It's because they stop changing and growing and repenting the way that God. Your marriage is not about you and your wife, first and foremost, or your husband, your spouse. Your marriage is first and foremost, if you are a follower of Jesus, about your relationship with the Lord. And our marriages are meant, are designed by God to lead us to go further in the journey of selfless holiness and grace to be more like Christ. So as we go into our passage today on the one another's, I want to talk about God's purposes for marriage, at least one of them. I think the key spiritual purpose. And then I want to talk about the two key responsibilities of a husband and a wife to make marriage work and to make it successful. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. Turn there in your Bible app, if you will, and if you don't have either of those We're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen as we talk about making marriage work. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Now that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at one of the most dreaded, hated verses within the Bible. 
Okay, in fact, I know as I start to read it, I'm going to feel the temperature start to rise, especially among some of the ladies that are here. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, I'm glad you don't have a game controller or a joystick. Now you'd definitely be shooting at me, okay? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Think about a husband. He gets a job promotion, an advancement. But in order to take that, it means that he's got to move. He's got to relocate. And he goes home to his wife and he says, we're moving. We're heading over to another state. And the place where they live is the place where she's grown up. It's a place where she has her family, her roots, and her memories. And she protests. She doesn't want to do this. And the husband vetoes her protest. And he pulls out the Ephesians 5.22 verse. Not good for him, is it? This is the entitlement theory of this verse. It says that because I am the husband, because of who I am in the relationship, you have to do what I tell you to do. Now the problem with this is, is that psychologically it can enable a controlling personality. It creates codependence in relationships. It also creates a a sense of bitterness and resentment within the wife, and it can be potentially dangerous to the husband's health, okay? But not only that, it completely misses what the Apostle Paul is wanting to communicate. We can look at this one little verse and we can float it by itself and we can derive all kinds of meanings. I want to show you a, a, a video clip of an old commercial. It's a commercial, I think, from 2007, which talks about the problem of just taking one statement and how that one statement can look so different if you change it in different conversational context. Can we go ahead and show that video, please? Same statement, but you change the context and the meaning is completely different. And so when we look at Ephesians 5.22, we, we need to see it in light of the larger context. Ephesians is a wonderful book, chapters 1 to 3. Talks about God's cosmic plan for the world, the universe, the church in relation to the Trinity. The Father sets out this marvelous plan to bring the world to Himself. And He sends the Son who dies and suffers and brings us into a relationship with God. And then He sends the Holy Spirit to now empower us and connect us to the Trinitarian life. And then in chapters 4-6, to six, Paul talks about how we make this practical. So go to chapter 5, verse 18. And Paul is talking about how we live this out as a church walking in the family of the Trinity. 
In verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to come under the control increasingly of God's leadership in your life. Now in the Greek, this word filled is the main direct active verb. And then all of the verbs coming after that on down to chapter 5 verse 33 are what are called participles. If you think of the the command to be filled, it's like the engine that is driving the whole thought of, of this teaching. And then the verbs coming after it are like the cars that are coming after the engine. They are being pulled by this concept of being filled. They have their meaning from this. So Paul will go on in verse 19 using the participle speak to one another. Sing and make music in your heart. Those are participles. Verse 20, and always giving thanks. It's a participle coming from the command to be filled. To always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 21. Submit. It is a participle coming from the command to be filled. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21 becomes before verse 22 because that is the first command for both husbands and wives. Our first job is to equally submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in our marriage. Our first job is obedience to God. So let me give you the purpose of marriage as I see it within this passage if you're in a note-writing mood. Marriage is to create relational unity that makes us more like Christ. Marriage is to create relational unity that makes us more like Christ. The leadership of a marriage does not come from a husband. The leadership of a marriage comes from Jesus Christ. And if you've got marriage problems... Your first problem is not that with your spouse. Their first problem is that of your surrender to Jesus Christ. And when somebody comes into my office with marital concerns, marital issues, my first question is not about what's wrong with their spouse or even maybe what's wrong with them. But my first question is, is what is wrong in your relationship with the Lord? And so the first thing within our marriage is that marriages first start with our submission to Jesus Christ. And as I said before, in our relationships, we don't so much fall out of love as we fall out of repentance. This term submit in verse 21, verse 22, it's, it's an old military term. It's where you submit to the orders of a superior You submit to the orders of a commander, and in this case, it's Jesus Christ. And when you're in the military and you're given a command, you're not, you don't say to your officer, superior officer, I don't think that's going to work very good for me right now. I don't think I'm in the mood for this right now. I don't think that's something I want to do. No, you submit to it 
because you want to line up with what is good for the whole of the military, the whole of the service, the whole of the objectives. And this idea of submit is about taking two self-centered people and bringing them into alignment with the selfless purposes of Jesus Christ. And so our first thing is to submit is about coming into the order of what God wants to accomplish and do within our marriages. And the responsibility in this verse 21 of submit to each other goes as equally, as I said, for the wives as it does for the husbands. Look in verse 25. Paul gives this command. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Look at that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you look in verses 22 to verse 33, there are three, really four commands that are given to wives about how their responsibility comes into play to make marriage work. But if you look in the same section, there are nine commands, three times as many, which are given to the husband, which are based upon the spiritual leadership, the servant leadership that he is to provide. Steve Farrar is a popular men's speaker. He says it's kind of like the quarterback wide receiver principle. The quarterback is the guy who leads. He sets the direction. The wide receiver submits. He gets the pass. They have one goal, and that is to get the ball into the end zone to win the game. Husbands and wives have equal equal parts but different roles into making a marriage work as they both come under submission to Jesus Christ. And when it comes to a husband's leadership, it needs to be like Christ who gave himself for the church. When I as a husband am leading and I, as a husband, am trying to work and to bring guidance under the Lord in our marriage. My first question is this. How can I serve like Jesus? How are the decisions that I am making bringing Brenda and I closer and tighter into God's plan? And the more that I mature, the more that that becomes the dominant question within my mind. Now, let me take a little bit of a side route, if you will, and I want to talk about gender. I want to talk a little bit about the differences between men and women, because it's kind of important for understanding what Paul says and how we look at the responsibilities that men and women have within the marriage. Now, let's talk about gender. Gender is a real deal. It is not a construction. Gender is not something that's made up. In fact, science shows us, biologists tell us, that within the very cells of men and women are stamped at the deepest level our gender. For men, they can look at the cell of a man and they've kind of, di- they've kind of dissected or they've kind of seen the chromosomes to be XY. And for women, they look at the cell, and at the deepest levels, the chromosomes are XX. And what makes us men and women is stamped within our biology. 
Our brains are different. Our voices are different. Our thought structures are different. Our body strengths are different. Our reproductive systems are different. So much is different. And this comes back to how God has created us. In Genesis chapter 2, He created them male and female. God did not create one gender and then just made the plumbing a little bit different. He has created two genders, and that has two distinct and profound understandings of how we relate to each other as men and women. When God said, let us, plural, because God is Trinity, let us make man in our image, man generic, male and female, he made them. The image of God is not man and is not, or woman, it is male and female. God made Adam. He says it's not good. It's not good for this man to be alone. And so he made a helper suitable for him. And so he made the woman. And when God looked at man and he made man, Adam, in his image, he put something of his character, he put something of his image within Adam, but it wasn't complete because there was now something within the woman in which he would stamp and place his image, his attributes, his character that would complement the man. And so together, when you see male and female in marriage, you are seeing more of the closeness of the Trinitarian image of God. It is not man alone or woman alone who has the image of God, but it it is both of them together have something of the divine stamp of God. And it is together as men and women that we more see the fullness of who God is. Now let me be very clear about us at Crossroads Community Church and the missionary church which we're a part of. We will never call God mother because God has not revealed himself as mother. He will always be called father. All right? But because that's how he's revealed himself and there's more, a bigger discussion on that, nonetheless, men and women together show the image of God. Now let's go a little bit deeper. If you were to go into a man's brain and you were to open it up, here's a simple way to think about a man's brain. You open up that brain and you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a waffle. You're going to see a waffle. Now, it doesn't mean that he waffles on his decisions, though that may be the case. But in a man's brain are several little boxes. And in those boxes are how he thinks. He puts everything in boxes and he compartmentalizes his decisions and his choices and his activities when it comes to his family, to his work and everything else. It goes into boxes. And so men tend to be problem solvers. They tend to be goal-oriented, task-oriented because they're thinking in terms of boxes. But if you open up a woman's brain, you're not going to see a waffle you're going to see spaghetti. You're going to see spaghetti. And that means because within her brain, everything is connected. 
all of the strands of kids, of work, of home, community, family, what she's going through, they're all kind of connected and they're all kind of weaving into each other and they're not in little boxes, but they're things that can be felt several times all at once. They're not compartments but they're all kind of woven together. One way to think about this is that when a man is thinking, he's got one browser opened at a time. But when a woman is thinking, she has several browsers opened at once. And she's more attuned to her environment. She's more in tune to the nuances of the situations around her. When Brenda and I are at home, I am focused on one thing. But Brenda is focused on several things at once. And you know that when her and I are dialoguing together, she's interacting with me. Do you know what one of the most common phrases that I say in our relationship? Brenda, could you repeat that again? Uh, Brenda, could you share that one more time? Because she's thinking about several things and can multitask. I'm thinking about one thing. And when Brenda talks to me or she says, Anthony, what do you think about this? Or Anthony, I've had this thought. I'm in one box and I've got to go to another box. And that box is the box where I communicate with my wife. Now, it's scientifically proven that on average... Wives speak about twice as much as their husbands in a day. Probably the reason is, is because they have to repeat everything they say to their husbands twice. And that's because our brains are different. We function differently. You go on a vacation. The wife may have the tendency like, okay, let's stop here. Let's go and have a nice lunch. Let's go to this cafe. Let's just browse around. This would be good on the way to our vacation stop. And the husband's like, no way. 600 miles in one day. You know, and you're just going to go there. Women connect their emotions more so to to the meaning of words. Guys, they can look at each other. Frank looks like you've put on a couple of pounds. Women, you're not going to say that to each other, are you? Because there's a way that we relate, and guys are more in boxes, and women are more in types of of this openness. Now, I know that that's not completely in every situation, in every relationship, totally and completely true. But there are generalities that I think have more, that give us more clarity then they give unclarity. This brings us to verse 33. Paul says, However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When it comes to the ways that men and women relate to each other, it comes down to verse 33, and there's been a book written about this is that the husbands love their wives through expressing love where they cherish and value their spouse. Women love their husbands through showing them respect. So let's bring some encouragements to this. Number one, husbands, love your wives by expressing sacrifice. 
Love your wives by expressing sacrifice. Women love to feel that they are cherished and highly valued by their husbands. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The scripture is clear. A husband should give all for the service and the betterment of his wife, just as Christ gave to the church. Now let me clarify this a bit. Most of us as husbands would say when it comes to sacrificing for my wife, I would gladly do that. I would take a bullet for her. I would die for her. I would do whatever it takes to protect her. That is a great instinct. That is a great value that you have as a man and as a husband. But what I want you to think about this is though you're willing to die for your wife, are you willing to live for her in such a way and to sacrifice for her in such a way so that she feels valued and cherished? And what that means in sacrificing for your wife is sometimes it means going out with them and going shopping and having a good attitude about it. Some of you as husbands might say, well, hey, I'm willing to let my wife sit with me in the deer blind all day. She just needs to be quiet. She can come and she can go fishing with me and she can be in the boat. I just don't want her talking, okay? But sacrifice has to be determined not by what you feel is valuable, but what she feels is valuable. And so that means that if you've got younger children, it could be an expression of, honey, let me watch the kids for you while you go out with your friends or you go out and do something that is personally meaningful. It might mean that if somebody's interfering within the relationship, even a relative, you as a husband stand up for the protection of the relationship and the protection of your wife, even when it's difficult. It could mean that when you get home from work or whatever, that you spend time talking about your day and listening to her talk about her day. This is where this is very challenging. Because men are in their boxes and sometimes they've used their quota of the words after they've got home from work. And now women have a whole nother day's worth of words to say after 6 p.m. And so sometimes as a husband, we need to just sit. We need to relate. We need to listen. As your wife is talking about her day, as your wife is talking about what's going on, as your wife is sharing about her experiences, 85% of the time, all you need to do is to listen and show support. So for example, if Brenda says to me, I get home at 6 p.m., and she says to me, Anthony, I'm really tired. The thing that I don't want to say to her, well, Brenda, how about you go to bed? Especially if I want to eat dinner that evening. The thing I want to say to her is, okay, honey, why are you so tired? Tell me about your day. 
Okay, honey, tell me, is there something that I can do to help you? And the point is that you have to make a connection in a way that is valuable to her. You've got to go into that box which says, now I need to focus energy in sacrifice on communicating with my wife so that she feels valuable. You ever been on a website or you ever open up this Microsoft product? And in order to get it, you've got to read the the terms and the conditions of the product. Do you ever read all of those? Most of the time we don't because we can't even understand what all is in there. But we know we need the product. So what do we do with those terms and conditions? We press the word, I accept the terms and conditions. And sometimes as men, when our wives are communicating to us, do we understand all that they're going through emotionally? Do we understand all that they're expressing to us? Probably not. But I remember there was a time in my marriage when Brenda was talking to me, expressing to me, and I'm like, you know, I'm talking to somebody. It's like she's living on a different planet. I couldn't fully understand her emotion. She's a woman, I'm a man. But I said, whatever she is, is what I need. And I said, you know what, I'm going to accept it. And I pressed the acceptance button. And so that I don't completely understand what my wife is going through, I have learned that she needs more of my shoulder than she needs my lip. And so we learn to express love in such a way that our wives feel cherished and valued. Number two, wives respect your husband's by expressing symmetry. Wives, respect your husbands by expressing symmetry. Come into unity with the leadership of your husband. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Somebody has said that the honeymoon is the gap between I do and you better. And sometimes within the relationship, a wife can have such ideas of what the relationship looks like. She can have such images of what the marriage should be that if it's not being fulfilled, she is going to complain. She is going to guilt. She is going to nag. And what typically happens, in fact, what always happens as it backfires. And that idea that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy is not going to work good for a biblical relationship of marriage. And so for a wife, going back to Ephesians 5.21, the first person who you trust to lead your relationship and to lead your marriage is not your husband. But the first person you trust is Jesus Christ to lead your husband. That's where it starts. That point of submission to you where Paul says, wives, submit to your husband as you are submitting to the Lord. And so for wives, for where your husband is falling short, instead of nagging and complaining and critiquing, you need to be praying and building up and you need to trust your husband into the leadership of God's hand. You need to build him up. Linda Dillo, in her book, Creative Counterpart, writes this. She says, the greatest fear in submission is pain. She lists four fears that women have in submission. She fears what 
he may ask her to do. She is afraid that he will fail. She is afraid of his irresponsibility. She is afraid of God's will. And then she goes on to say this, The greatest joy in submission is surrender to God, ladies. Submission is not so much about trusting your husband. It is about trusting what God can do with your husband. It is trusting that God is teaching your husband in his successes and in his failures. Biblical honor, biblical respect does not say that I'm going to look at you and respect you according to what I see. Biblical honor and biblical respect says I'm going to look at you, not through what I see, but rather through what God says. And I'm going to look and I'm going to be thankful for the progress that God has made in your life. And then I'm going to pray for you and build you up. And I'm going to trust you and give you room to lead for the progress that he is yet to make in your life. Ladies, just because your husband is not loving you exactly in the way that you want, does not mean that he is not loving you with all that he has. And you need to be thankful, and you need to uplift him. You need to build him up for the sacrifices that he is making. And for where he is falling short, your main role is to pray for him. To have a list of prayers that you pray every day. To pray that God will lead your husband. And as you see God fulfilling those prayers, you thank Him for every one that He is doing. And you rejoice in that. Guys, the same is true for us. You and I should have a list of prayers that we are praying for our wives and our family. And we should be, as pastors of our home, lifting them up on a daily basis. Taking that five minutes or whatever a day and just lifting them before the throne of God. And rejoicing in the work that He is doing and asking Him to help us become better leaders within our home. Wives, it doesn't mean you can't confront your husband or have honest or difficult discussions with him. You're going to need to do that. You are so vital for the protection and to be the safety rails on the path and the lane from which your husband travels. You are a set of eyes and ears for extra insight and protection for his life. But when you talk to him, do it respectfully. Doing it in a way that honors his position of leadership that God has given him. And so you speak to him and you say, I'm confused about such and such. Can you explain this to me? Can we talk about this? Here's something that I'm feeling uncomfortable with. Can you and I have a conversation about this? And if you don't give him room to lead... He may not step up into that position if he feels threatened and attacked. You may say this morning, you know, Pastor, my spouse isn't here to hear this this morning. I'm all alone in this. My spouse doesn't get this. What do I do? The Bible is clear. You don't do this for your spouse. You do this out of your obedience to the Lord. That's where it starts. 
Marriages don't work, not because couples fall out of love. It's because they fall out of repentance. And the secret of the gospel is this, as our marriages are centered on Jesus Christ, is that the grace of God that has come to us that we don't deserve has brought incredible changes to our lives. And God has not changed us through threatening us, intimidating us, or guilting us. He has changed us because He has loved us. And He has poured out His grace to us unconditionally. And when we experience that grace in His accountability... There's transformation that takes place, isn't there? And so it is within our marriages. When we give grace, when that relationship is so difficult, when things are so challenging, and we just put our stake into the ground and saying, Lord, I'm going to love, I am going to give, I am going to pray, I am going to hang in there, I am going to honor, I am going to bless. It will do exponentially more for the transformation of our marriages and our relationships than all of the guilting and the arguing and the manipulating can ever do. Grace is that powerful ingredient that will bind a man and woman together when their imperfections are pulling them apart. And you know what the greatest thing is of all of that? It becomes the most wonderful laboratory. It becomes the most wonderful field upon which we can more fully understand the grace that Jesus Christ has given within our lives. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, I think it would be a wonderful thing just to imagine a wife going before the Lord and saying, God, I've been complaining, I've been manipulating, I've been accusing. And instead of doing that, Lord, I want to trust you. And I want to honor my husband. And I want to come under alignment with his leadership, his direction. I want to make that choice to have a different attitude from this day forward. For men, imagine yourself going before God and saying, God, I've been in my own boxes. I've been in my own compartments And instead of just focusing on just these few things I do well, I want to have the courage to love my wife. I've been ignoring some of her needs, some of the things she's been telling me she needs. I want to step out of that box I'm in. And I want to go into that other box. And I want to do my best to understand, to love, to serve, and to care for her in any way I possibly can. And when a husband and wife have those types of attitudes. Under the grace of Jesus Christ, those are the ingredients that it takes to make a marriage work.